Would you pray with me once more? Our Lord, we thank you for your word. What a blessing it is that you have given it to us, that we can look to it and be instructed and directed and taught. But your word not only does this, Lord, your word does something more. Your word gives life. And so we pray that it would do so this morning. Give us life, not just any life, but life eternal, life abundant, life as you would have it be lived. For we ask it in the name of the one who is the word made flesh, who is the life, even Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Well, as I mentioned a moment ago, this, this psalm deals with the same situation in 1 Samuel 21 that last week's text, Psalm 56, dealt with. Uh, it was uh, a situation, you'll recall, where David, uh, who of course had already defeated the giant Goliath, as we read together in our unison scripture reading today, that great Philistine, David was brought before King Achish in Gath, which was one of the major cities of the Philistines. And so he, on the run from Saul, is now brought before another king. You'll recall he feigned madness and ended up escaping through that. Uh, Psalm 56, which we read last week, or looked at last week, was, was written in response to that situation. So is this psalm. It's, it's a little bit different, though, even though they are kind of companion psalms, in that this psalm is, is kind of written as a prequel to the one we looked at last week, in that, that though written almost certainly after the events, it's written as if it's in the midst of the events. And so we get kind of a different perspective of things. We get a feel for how David felt in the middle of the opposition that he faced. And that's handy because we all face opposition in life, don't we? We, we face all kinds of opposition, fearful things or fearful people or fearful situations pressing in against us. And we must decide what will happen. Verse 3 gives us one response. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. What a glorious response that is. It, it's interesting though, and this is where I want to start, it's just the fact that, that he doesn't write, if I am afraid, I put my trust in you. He doesn't just say, you know, well, if, if something that might scare somebody else comes before me, I'll put my trust in you. No, he says, when I am afraid. He, he lays it out on the line. He says, there are times, Lord, that I will be afraid. There are times when, when big, scary things will come my way. And I'm going to be afraid. You would think, I mean, this is the guy who faced Goliath, right? Once you've defeated a giant like Goliath, what would you be afraid of, right? Oh, you've got it handled. But that's not the way it works, is it? We need to know that it's no sin to experience fear. The big question, though, is how will we respond to it? How will we respond to it? Will we give in to fear or Will we push on in faith? Like what Derek Kidner had to say 
about this verse. He said, faith is seen here as a deliberate act in defiance of one's emotional state, right? Faith isn't just kind of this feeling or this, this something where it's just kind of like, well, I, I just kind of have faith. No, it's, it's a decision. It's something he holds on to that he presses forward with. It is an act of defiance. Yes, I feel scared. I feel worried. I, I, I realize that, that there is danger before me. But I decide I'm going to move forward. And that's what faith is in action. That, the, the controlling thought of this psalm is really shows up in two places. It's kind of a, a refrain. Remember, the psalm is a, is a song, right? To be sung. And so this refrain shows up in verse 4 and verse 11. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember, David's already said when I'm afraid, right? He's not saying he's never going to be afraid. But he says, says when fear seizes me, I'm not just going to let it be. I'm going to say no to fear and yes to faith. David proclaims to God and to others, and perhaps even to himself, what can man do to me? Right? You've done that before, right? I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I'm not scared, right? <laughs> Telling yourself, right? He, he's doing that in a certain sense here, but he has reason because he's clinging to God. What, what can man, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's essentially what he's saying here. Of course, if we're honest about it, what can man do to us? Well, a lot, really. I mean, it's kind of a rhetorical question on the one hand, but, but on the other hand, there's a lot. I mean, it's just right here in the psalm. Verse 1, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me, verse 2, all day long, for many attack me proudly. Right? They, they trample on me, or, or, or there's actually some kind of confusion in the language here, or, or some question as to what exactly it means. It might be trample on me. It, it actually might carry the idea of pants after me, or, or even of swallow me up, right? And, and so regardless of which way it is, the idea for sure carries this idea that there's this, this insatiable rage among those who are after David, who are assailing him. He's being oppressed and attacked. These are very real things. It, it, it doesn't just say, you know, that, that they try to do these things. It says they're actually doing them, right? All day long, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil, verse 5. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. They've waited for my life. Again, not that they try to do these things. They're actually, he said, what can man do against me? And they list about a thousand things that man can do against him, right? So he's not saying that there's nothing they can do, but he says, ultimately, those won't decide his mindset. Those won't decide his heart. Those won't decide how he acts. Those won't determine what he is going to do. He is going to press on in faith instead. And when faced with opposition, God calls us, like David, to trust in him. 
not a general trust in a random God, but a very personal trust in a very specific God. The God who is. The God who created the heavens and the earth. The God who has taken flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. Such a trust in God can be strengthened through remembering personal experiences, reading God's word, and resting in Christ Jesus. First of all, remembering personal experiences. David, who writes this psalm, gives us a great example of this, of course, right? That's why we, we looked in our unison scripture reading the story of David with Goliath. What does he say as he comes before Saul? Everybody's worried, everybody's fearful. Everybody sees this great giant before them who is taunting them and taunting God. And he is, he is fearful. He is huge. He's a killer. And they're quaking in their boots. But David remembers his personal experiences. Right? We, we read the words before. David spoke how when he was a shepherd, there would come wild beasts from the field, a, a, a lion or a bear. And they would come and try to snatch those animals that David was looking after. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. He had tested the Lord. He knew that the Lord was able to do this. He, he had experienced that. And through that experience, he now had a, a, a foundation that he could move forward upon. He had, he had experienced the Lord's protection. He had experienced the Lord's goodness. He had experienced the Lord's strength and his power and the fact that he was with him. And so he said, I can move forward in the midst of my fear here because I remember in the past a fearful situation. And it worked out then because God was with me. Not because, you know, I remember back then I was young and spry and whoo, I juked around and avoided. No, that's not what he says. He didn't say, well, I remember that I had a big old club and I just, boom. No, that's not what he says. He says, the Lord delivered me from the hand of the paw of the lion and the bear. It's interesting. I, I, I like the fact that David says here, when Saul, Saul gave him all the armor, right? He says, well, okay, take my armor and go out there. And, 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 and David says, no, I'm not going to take that. But this is really interesting. I, he says, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. I've not tested them. Which, which I think kind of suggests, it kind of is unsaid here, but, but he's saying, I've tested the Lord. <laughs> I've, I've experienced his faithfulness in these situations. I can trust the Lord. I don't know if I can trust these, right? Right? You know, they're big and bulky and hard for me to move around. I don't know if, I don't know if I'll be able to use them. Right? I, I, I've not tested them. I've not worked with them. I'm not going to put my faith in these things that are untested. I'm going to put my faith in the things that are tested. Right? That's just common sense. Right? I mean, 
right? If, if I told you that you could, you could, uh, you know, get from the 17th floor to the ground floor uh, by uh, stepping into the dark right here, take my word for it, there's, there's an elevator floor below you, it, it'll be all right. Or you can walk down those stairs over there. Which one are you getting? Well, I've tested the stairs. I know that works. Stepping into the dark. <laughs> Not sure I want to do that. Right? So, David does that which he has tested. And when he actually goes against Goliath, what is it that Goliath says to him? Goliath taunts him. And David says that he's going to be delivered into his hand that day again by the Lord. Right? Not because of his strength, not because of his cunning, not because of his talent, but because the Lord is with him. It's the Lord who will do it. He has this experience that he's had. So he's, he's experienced the Lord delivering Goliath into his hands when he writes this psalm. It's interesting. When he went before Goliath, he, he fought him not with the battle armor that Saul had, not with weapons that would be like normal weapons of war, but he went in the name of the Lord and trusted in the Lord. And just as a side note, this isn't really what the sermon is about today, but I was thinking about it this week, how, how too often we take up the weapons of this world in our supposed defense of Christ Jesus. Right? We, we are, are like Peter in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And we swing our sword at Malchus and chop off his ear, you know, and, and we're going to save the day for Jesus by doing that. Too often we do not heed the word of Jesus who says to put away our sword. We do not heed the word of the one whose kingdom we are supposedly defending. He who proclaims my kingdom is not of this world. We choose the weapons of this world. It's not necessarily bombers and you know machine guns and and fighter jets and those types of weapons I'm talking about. No, I'm, I'm talking about if we, you know, we, we, we're worried about the church and the future of the church and we, you know, is the church going to survive? And, you know, if we only elect the right political party or if we, we only, you know, attend the right rallies and if we only enact the right laws and join the right protests and boycott the right products. And I'm not saying you can't do any of those. Certainly do them. That's fine. But those aren't the answer. The answer at the end of the day is Jesus, right? Jesus, who has said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, right? If we put our trust in all these other things, instead of putting our trust in Jesus, we're trusting the wrong thing. We spend so much time and energy and worry and concern on these types of things, when in reality what Jesus tells us to concern ourselves with is something altogether different. It, Prophet Micah puts it well. He's told you, old man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to fight tooth and nail to preserve your favored status and to fight back to those with whom you disagree and make sure everyone knows you're right. No, 
That, that's not what he says. What is required of us? To do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. That is what he requires. That is our responsibility. Jesus will see to it that his church is maintained, that his church is built up, that his church will survive to the end. He will build his church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It might look different than it once had. It might mean that we face opposition and persecution and fearful things such as that. It might even mean that Christianity comes to represent a decided minority position as opposed to a favored majority position that it has long held in our nation. But as one pastor points out, Christianity always flourishes most as a life-giving minority, not as a powerful majority. It's through subversive, countercultural acts of love, justice, and service for the common good that Christianity has always gained the most ground. That's what happened in the early days of the church. And by, Lord, by God's will, that's what will happen in our day as well. So we know the direction we need to go. We, if, we, if we want to know the directions of the promises of God, we, we of course need to look to Scripture. That's the second thing we can do. We, we read God's Word. And when we read God's Word, we, we can see how God has acted in the past. Right? It's not just about what He's done in our lives, it's what He's done in the lives of others. So David writes in Psalm 22, 4, In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. Right? So we can look to see how God has throughout history, throughout the history of the church, throughout the history of, of salvation, he has worked savingly to spare his people, to save his people, to protect them, to care for them. In fact, the name Jesus means Yahweh saves. And so we can trust in God, we can depend on him because we look to his word, we see how he is active. When we look to his word, we also see that he is just. He is, he is just. He he is righteous. He, he sees that things that are wrong do not go unpunished. You know, we, we, we love justice because we, we see people wronging us and, and we want them to be brought to justice and God is just and we can be sure that they will. Right? For their crime, David writes in verse 7, will they escape? In wrath, cast the, down these peoples, O God. He has a hunger for justice that is right. Unfortunately, in my life, and maybe it's the same in yours, my hunger for justice sometimes slides into a hunger for vengeance. You see the difference between the two? It's, it's not just that you did something that was wrong and you need to pay for that because you have been, uh, you, you've caused an affront to the glory and holiness of God, but but rather you've, you've done something and it inconvenienced me or bothered me or, or hurt me and, and man, I want to punch you in the nose, right? That, that's sometimes what rises up inside of me. Here's a good way to know whether you are concerned with justice or with vengeance. Ask yourself, would I feel the same way if I were the perpetrator, right? If I were the perpetrator as opposed to the one who has been sinned against, would I feel the same way, right? When you sin against me, I might want to punch you in the nose, but if I were the one who did the sinning, 
They wouldn't be quite so quick to want to punch me in the nose, right? We need to consider where we are there. God's wrath is a holy wrath. And so he is always right and just. Another thing David knew that we see in God's word is that God is omniscient. He knows all that will happen to us. And he knows it not just from from the point of view of of knowing what it is that will happen to us, but, but also from the point of view of knowing what it is like, knowing experientially how it is. Right? We see verse 8 here. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? This is kind of a metaphorical language. He says, says God is aware of our tears. He's, he is aware of our sorrows. He is aware of our hardships and our pain and our, 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 our hard times and our difficulties. He's aware of them. He's aware of them on on. That first point, right, he, he knows they happen. He's omniscient. He knows all things. Nothing happens without him being aware. But he also knows them at a much deeper level than that. He knows them experientially because he has experienced them as well through Christ Jesus, his son. Think of Jesus at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus wept. Think of Jesus as he comes into Jerusalem for his triumphal entry and as he, in Luke 19, looks over Jerusalem, we read, Jesus wept over Jerusalem. He wept. God weeps. He knows what our pain is like. You know, when I, I read of Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, just that, that mournful, soulful, palpable grief that he feels, oh, Jerusalem, oh, that you knew. I'm reminded again of David, right? of David, whose, whose son Absalom rose up against him. After David had finally ascended to the throne, uh, many years later, Absalom, his son, tries to usurp the throne, essentially, tries to take it from him. And, and in the whole process, if you don't know the story, Absalom ends up being killed. He ends up dying. Word gets to David that his son, who was rebelling against him, who was, who was usurping his throne, who was trying to steal it from him, he, this, this son, who had made himself an enemy, was dead. David, of course, doesn't rejoice at that. He doesn't say at that moment, oh, good, glad that, that stinker's gone. No. He has a father's love, and he says, oh, Absalom, Oh, Absalom, and he weeps. He says, would that I would have died instead of you. And that's the same thing with Jesus, isn't it? Jesus, deeply moved, weeps over Jerusalem, and doesn't just say, would that I would have died, but he actually does die. He goes to the cross, he pays that whole penalty, not just the physical death, but taking on the sins of all who are his. You see, he knows what it's like. His eyes are on us always, and his heart is with us always. It's like that old gospel song, 
Right? Sevilla Martin wrote it. She spoke of how she and her husband had some friends, the Doolittles, Mr. and Mrs. Doolittle. And Mrs. Doolittle had been bedridden for 20 years or so, and <clears throat> Mr. Doolittle was bound to a wheelchair. And yet they were such a joyful Christian couple that every time the Martins would visit them, they were awed at the joy that the Doolittles had. And, and one day Mr. Martin asked the Doolittles, how is it possible amidst all of your hardship that you can live a life of such joy? And Mrs. Doolittle responded simply, his eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. And Sevilla Martin took those words, of course, prompted from Matthew 6 and Matthew 10, and turned them into the gospel hymn that speaks to that truth, that God sees us always. It's it's what David was saying here in verse 8, that God has kept track of my tossings. He kept track of my tears. They, they aren't meaningless. They aren't unimportant. They're, they're not just random chance. They, they have a purpose. God is doing something in them. And beyond that, God will one day set all things right. And when he sets all things right, my tears, my pains, my sorrows, my hardships are included in all things. When he redeems all things, those will be redeemed as well. And there will be a beauty and a glory in those. God knows all things. It's a wonderful truth. Except for this. He knows all the things I wish he didn't know. <laughs> right? Those thoughts I've had, those words I've said, those things I've done. I kind of wish he didn't know some of those because, right, he knows and he is just. So how do we deal with that? Because my sins deserve his just and righteous punishment. And he knows about them and he has to act justly. How do we deal with that? Well, the cross is how we deal with that. The cross is how he deals with that, right? We, we said that before, this is the power of the cross. Christ became sin for us, took the blame, bore the wrath, and we stand forgiven at the cross, right? We rest in Christ Jesus, and we see forgiveness in Christ Jesus. That is how God can be both just and justifier as the word of god puts it we rest in christ jesus because at the cross forgiveness is ours and as we'll sing in just a moment because the sinless savior died my sinful soul is counted free for god the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me what a wonderful truth that is. And in light of this gospel truth, we come to verse 12 where, where he says, I must perform my vows to you. Not, not well, I think I will perform my vows. No, I, not, not, I think I will render thank offerings to you. Or maybe it's a good idea if I, no. 
He says, I must. I'm compelled. Why? Because you have delivered me. Because you have saved me. Because I deserve to die. And you have saved me. I owe my everything to you, O Lord. That's what David is saying here. He's saying, I owe you my all, so I must perform my vows to you. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Understanding what Christ has done changes everything. And in closing, I, I just share this. Richard Phillips notes, it's probable that Jesus had verse, or Psalm 56, 13, explicitly in mind. This verse where he says, you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. It's probable that Jesus had this verse in mind when he declared in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When we look to Jesus and trusting faith, he promises to light our path in the way of eternal life, just as David, for all his dangers, was confident of finding a way to safety. Let us share in David's confidence. Let us share in Christ's light. Let us press forward in faith in the midst of our fears. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, we do realize that there are many fearful things that will come before us. Many things which will cause us to tremble. Remind us in those moments, as big as they are, you are bigger. As powerful as they are, you are more powerful. As, as mighty as they are, you are more mighty. Lord, may you consume our vision with your glory as shown to us in Christ Jesus, your Son, who died on the cross to make us righteous in your eyes and who now pleads our case before your throne, even this very morning. We ask it in his mighty and saving name.